0: Welcome to How I Did It, where Coda's Philanthropy and Social Capital team find out how successful leaders do what they do in the world of philanthropy and social leadership. Hello, you're listening to David Knowles, head of Coda's Philanthropy and Social Capital team. In this, the very first episode of How I Did It, we find out what it takes to be a global leader in the field of philanthropy from Chris Exley, President and CEO of the Atlantic Philanthropies a limited-life foundation that's so far distributed over $8 Australian dollars worldwide, including more than $650 million in Australia alone. Chris, welcome back to Australia. Uh, For those that don't know, could you briefly tell us the story behind Atlantic and your personal involvement? Uh, Thank you, David. It's good to be here.
1: Uh, Always good to be back in Australia. Um, I guess the story starts really with Chuck Feeney, who made a fortune in duty-free shops. Um, and his personal biography is told in a book called The Billionaire Who Wasn't uh, by Connor O'Cleary. His his story in philanthropy starts in 1982 when he formed the Atlantic Foundation, um, and in 1984 signed over everything he owned uh, to that uh, charitable uh, entity. Um, I came to the group uh, as a lawyer in 1990 uh, to help manage the businesses that gave rise to the endowment for the foundation. And at that time, the great majority of the value of the foundation was really tied up in operating businesses. Um, So I joined in 1990 in London uh, as part of a management team that operated uh, 180 companies globally, um, including uh, subsidiary interests and duty free shops. Um, And over the years, uh, uh, as Chuck increasingly sold off the assets uh, and the endowment of the foundation grew, um, I started to become active in the philanthropy uh, activities uh, with Chuck. In 2002, uh, Chuck and the board of directors of Atlantic made a decision to have a limited life, uh, to contribute all of what Chuck had made, his fortune, and his lifetime by the end of 2016. And at that time, the uh, organization decided to focus on four program areas. And I became a director of the Population Health Program, which had activities uh, principally in Vietnam, uh, South Africa and Cuba. But I also was involved in Chuck's initiatives in Australia, uh, the US uh, and in Europe. Um, Most recently, uh, six years ago, I came back to the organization as the CEO um, and my responsibilities have focused principally on how to end well because 2016 uh, was the last year in which we made grant commitments um, and
0: I had a five-year run uh, to get to that point. Well, you, when you say end well, um, you obviously have to also start well. And starting would have involved working very closely with Chuck. Um, what What has working with Chuck um, taught you along the way? What What is um, What is the lesson you've taken from working with a founder like Chuck? There are a lot of lessons. Um, One is, I think, Chuck was
1: really dedicated to doing things well, whether they were in business or in philanthropy. Um, Doing things thoughtfully, uh, knowing what you were doing, being able to articulate what you were trying to accomplish, uh, being thoughtful about your expenditures, whether it's on a business side or how you're investing philanthropically. Uh, I think the the main lesson was be attentive, uh, be observant, uh, do things well. The second thing was I think Chuck uh, was very naturally, is very naturally, um, a very humble, retiring person. Uh, Much of the time that Atlantic did its work was uh, in an anonymous capacity, and I think that reflected Chuck's characteristics of not wanting to bring attention to oneself personally, but being able to keep the attention on the work and the outcomes of of that work. Uh, So being sensitive uh, to my role, an individual's role, and what you do and how you appear is important. Uh, Not putting yourself out in front uh, inappropriately, uh, keeping the focus on the outcomes and the people who are doing uh, the work. Those are two, I think, very significant characteristics uh, of Chuck's work. I think some of the qualities and values of Chuck uh, have resonated with me and with our organization. Uh, A sense of empathy, a recognition that there are people with very real needs, and if you have resources, you can make a difference in their lives. Um, A sense of that you have been entrusted with significant resources. Uh, So you have to be thoughtful and careful about how you deploy those resources, but that you can make a difference. Um, And if you're thoughtful and uh, um, observant uh, there's nothing more satisfying than to be able to see the outcomes of your work.
0: Yeah. We um, talked in, in um, the last few minutes there about being humble. And um, we, we've spoken previously about the idea of paying attention. Um, when you began your role, what were the things that you felt was really important to pay attention to? Well, when I
1: began my role as CEO, uh, the organization was going through a transition, a um, frankly, it was headed in a direction that Chuck was not comfortable with uh, for the final uh, phase. Um, and so the, my um, responsibilities were to look carefully where the organization was going, to step back uh, and look at some fundamental um, themes and principles of what we were trying to do and how we were going to do it. So the first thing we did uh, was to say, so let's revisit what are what our, our goals and our approaches should be. And we spent about six months, um, both the staff, the leadership team, and uh, with the board of directors, uh, redefining or restating what we called our first principles. What is it that we're trying to accomplish? What are the guiding principles of our grant making? Uh, Given that we are a limited life organization, what's realistic? How will we know we can achieve those things? So that was... Really what was required of me in the first six to nine months was to really step back and think carefully about uh, what we were trying to achieve and how we proposed to achieve it and to be explicit about those guidelines. Now, a lot of those were intuitive, um, and people would look at it and say they were obvious, um, but sometimes you need to restate the obvious. Sometimes you need to uh, revisit what the assumptions are
0: so that everybody's on the same page. So that's what we did initially. Yeah, <clears throat> and you was, you're talking about um, that really important step of of, uh, of just moving backwards and having a fresh look from that step back that you've taken. But then as the CEO, obviously, any CEO, any leader, ultimately needs to make decisions. Can you think back to the early days, uh, and can you recall any decisions that you made deliberately that served you well? So not so much decisions in regard to uh, maybe policy for the foundation, but in terms of how, how you would lead it. Can you, can you think of any of those early decisions that served you well?
1: Uh, yes. Uh, I think sort of reflecting on Chuck's approach, which resonates with me personally, is that to remain focused, you have to make choices. You have to have, um, you can't do everything. Uh, So how do you make those choices, and how do you uh, sharpen your focus? One is a thematic question, and the other is an operational question. The organization had gotten pretty large, a lot of great people. But with great people spread out over the world, uh, we were in seven or eight countries at the time, the the challenge is to remain focused on what the primary themes and grant-making philosophy of the organization is. Uh, so, in trying to restate what it is our focus was thematically and the kinds of things we were trying to achieve, we also were reducing the size of the organization. Um, so, there was an operational uh, focus that came as well. Uh, we, the decisions to try to redefine what we were trying to achieve accompanied a decision to downsize, to have uh, fewer people. Um, and to focus on fewer things. Uh, I think those moves were really important to setting um, the foundation for the final work of the the foundation.
0: Yeah, and um, whether you're going up in size, downsizing, uh, whether you're changing policy, continuing policy, one thing that I would imagine has always been a a really big issue um, is what I'd call stakeholder management because uh, inevitably, even with a very understated founder, uh, you're going to have an, a lot of people with, with strong views who are also watching you very closely. Um, and I'm trying to imagine that in the context of, a, of people who might be listening to us talk, I think there'll be a lot of interest in, in, in how you can go about managing a, a complex set of stakeholder considerations, concerns, personalities, egos, you know, across maybe different time zones. There'll be all sorts of challenges. Um, what was what, what has been your approach to stakeholder management? A great question. You're absolutely
1: right. Um, I, I guess first is to start out with being uh, cognizant of who your stakeholders are. There are many. Um, there's the founder. Um, there's the board of directors charged with certain fiduciary responsibilities. There's your staff um, and the people who are helping you implement programs, and um, there are the grantees, the entities that receive the grants to do the kind of work we hope they will do. There are the end users, the benef- beneficiaries, ultimate beneficiaries of the grants, um, and and there are organizations uh, who partner with you, other foundations, other nonprofit organizations, and government. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of stakeholders, and mm-hmm. I think what's critical is to understand um, your relationship with each one of them. Uh, I think a fundamental. Requirement for a successful relationship with all stakeholders is clarity. Being able to convey with respect to each of those groups um, what your thoughts uh, and orientations uh, and goals are um, so that whatever detail follows it fits into an appreciation of what your strategic direction is, what you're trying to accomplish, so the the how can follow the why. Um, and it's, it's much easier to be able to explain, for example, to a grantee why they may not be getting further funding if they understand why uh, um, the program is going in a certain direction. Um, so clarity of purpose, clair- clarity of direction is essential to all stakeholders. But you also have to, I think, distinguish among your sta- stakeholder groups to appreciate what their respective uh, distinct expectations and needs are. Um, It's very important, I think, for a limited-life organization uh, to be able to project what the end looks like uh, so that you can work backwards from there and people can appreciate uh, that your choices are being made within that framework. Um, But there's no substitute for clarity, and clarity about your strategy, clarity about your goals, clarity about your approaches. uh, So then the decisions that come within that framework are better appreciated
0: yeah it um it sounds like correct me if i'm wrong but that you cu- you consult with people widely and ask a lot of questions as opposed to um, determining a course of action and just making a decision and communicating it is that is that right and if so why do you think that's so important
1: yes it is true
0: and um i mean i we had to talk
1: a lot with our grantees and our active grantees uh, to be clear about how we were ending and that required a lot of uh, conversations and deliberations uh, not necessarily with me personally but with our staff and program uh, staff Um, uh, and we, we described and encouraged our staff to follow certain guidelines in making those communications so that there'd be a consistent message um, and but it, we we emphasized that it required a lot of direct interaction and communication uh, with grantees. Um, we did the same with staff in terms of being clear about what their trajectories were within the organization. Uh, so a lot of conversations uh, with um, with managers and their teams, uh, but a consistency of. Of what we hope to do and uh, how we hope to accomplish it, and what it meant for their respective roles. With respect to our final grants, um, and David, you were part of this. We I engaged in really a global tour. Um, you know, Chuck had set a global footprint for the organization, and as part of our final phase, uh, we I, and I made the rounds globally. Uh, maybe echoing Chuck's approach, which really was about being present with the people who um, you'd developed relationships with, uh, who you'd invested in. Uh, there's no substitute to um, being with them in their environments, observing, learning, listening. Uh, so there was a lot uh, of travel um, in the last uh, three years, a lot of interviewing of our major grantees to get their views on the world, uh, their respective environments, what mattered to them, what was uh, their experience with Atlantic, and, and their recommendations—not that we followed all of that, but it was certainly a great deal of input to sift through, and we did that. And uh, that's really ultimately what led to the decision to uh, our, our final decision um, for our investments and our final grants at Atlantic was really a lot of input. Uh, a lot of sorting out, so... In, ter- in terms of those important. final
0: grants, um, the, uh, the Atlantic Fellows is something that people will probably be interested in hearing about. It's a fantastic initiative. Can you tell us a little bit about that, please?
1: Yeah, the Atlantic Fellows Program um, grew organically out of these discussions uh, with our grantee communities around the world uh, and the countries in which we were engaged. Uh, it's, a, it's a 650 million U.S. program that uh, is going to fund uh, fellowships uh, in uh, six different programs uh, globally, uh, but pulled together by an Atlantic Institute that will try to uh, provide some coordination and amplification of what those fellows do. Each of those fellowship programs grew out of a geography and um, uh, a theme uh, that reflected Atlantic's historic work. Um, in health, um, in science, and knowledge, uh, essentially working towards building uh, fairer, healthier, more inclusive societies, which were values that I think underlay Chuck's uh, initiatives and those of Atlantic generally. Um, these programs, um, as I said, are rooted in each respective environment and have a particular lens uh, on um, on on achieving fairer and healthier societies, but really they share some common values, uh, ones of equity, opportunity, and dignity, which are values that I think have been reflected in Chuck's work. Um, Here in Australia, uh, even though Atlantic has not focused historically on Indigenous cultures, uh, we looked uh, through our conversations with our grantees, heard more and more about a vision of what a fairer and healthier society in this country uh, and in the region uh, could look like and what an appropriate lens uh, into that um, uh, aspiration might be. Uh, So we uh, spoke with a number of our stakeholders uh, and after a couple of years settled on this theme of uh, social equity uh, and um, hosted at the University of Melbourne uh, and looking at uh, approaches to achieving fairer and healthier societies, more inclusive societies, uh, through the lens of indigenous leadership. Um, but, but all of the programs echo these fundamental themes of inclusivity, uh, opportunity, uh, respect for differences,
0: uh, in effect trying to create a better world. So the, the approach that the Foundation takes and that you take Um, based so much on equity, is also um, delivered in a way that I I, uh, characterise as humble. And humility uh, is perhaps one of the traits that comes through in your own work. What would you say some of the other really important traits are for any leader in the philanthropy space, someone who might be running a a foundation, for example, uh, if they want to be a successful leader?
1: I think there are many approaches to being an effective leader, so I don't want to suggest that what we've followed is necessarily um, the only way of being effective as a leader. Um, I think it's fair to say that both Chuck and I are introverted. <laughs> we, we don't naturally gravitate uh, to the limelight. It's not because um, I think we're trying to be humble. It's just kind of the way we are, uh, respectively, different ways. Uh, but I also think that uh, uh, if you're really interested in certain outcomes, if you're really interested in a, making a difference, um, the, the limelight really belongs to the people who are doing the work. Um, and, and you can distract from them uh, by being a splashy philanthropic leader. This is ultimately not about Atlantic. Uh, while we derive great satisfaction from what we do personally, uh, and where we can have a certain amount of pride in what the enterprise has done um, and the identity of the enterprise. We're proud of, the, uh, of, of, of being part of the Atlantic family. We're proud of being associated with Chuck. We're proud of being associated with many of the over 2,000 grantees that we've associated with. Um, I think the real satisfaction comes from working with people who are making a difference and um, so I guess I'd recharacterize the concept of humbleness about with where do you derive satisfaction? If your satisfaction is about being recognized as an individual, um, you're probably going to be a little less effective in I think achieving good outcomes. It doesn't mean you don't have a role in stepping forward, uh, being in uh, the public eye. Uh, I think uh, you can um, have a great deal of of influence and you can inspire people by uh, being public to some degree. I was recently at this University of Melbourne uh, donor dinner um, and Alan Myers spoke uh, to the group uh, very briefly but he, he said something very interesting and this probably cuts a, a, against the anonymity issue. Um, says if you can demonstrate that you're interested in a certain grantee or an issue uh, you are lending your voice and support uh, to not only that issue or institution, you're also validating your, a civic contribution. You're validating um, participation in a democracy, participation in uh, attempting to make uh, your community and the region and nation and world a better place, and that resonates with the public. It, it is influential and inspirational, which is why we're now getting out there and being a little bit more public uh, about Atlantic and about Chuck's work. I, I think people have said to us, you know, you have some responsibility to, um, to influence and inspire and inform. Uh, and thanks to you for this uh, conversation, because I, I, I think we're hoping that there's something in our experience that uh, would assist others in their own work not necessarily to do it the way we've done it, Uh, perhaps to make a a decision to do it in a different way. Uh, But we do feel we have a responsibility
0: to share this um, in in the public uh, forum. And there aren't, in the Australian context, although we're starting to see uh, big gifts and big public givers emerge, there aren't still that many who could give on a similar scale um, as Atlantic has. Uh, but I think what really comes through from the Atlantic story is actually the essence of of the giving. It's not the money. It's not the quantum. We- I, I, I totally agree. This is not
1: about the total sums. It's about, um, uh, and I've said this before, and, and Chuck models this, we have a limited time in this planet as individuals. What matters to us individually? Um, uh, we, we have to ask ourselves those questions. Um and I think Chuck, Chuck's life and uh, those of us who work with Chuck will say that one of the deepest uh, sources of satisfaction is to make a difference in the lives of others. Um, and if we, as we are, are privileged um, with health, with resources, with the ability to contribute to making that difference, uh, why wouldn't you do that? Uh, whether it's um, a small amount of money, whether it's your personal time, um whether it's some particular skill that um, that you can contribute, uh, all of them matter uh, and can be put to good use to improving lives of those who are less fortunate or to improving systems, uh, social systems, uh, that can make um, life better for most of us.
0: It's a win-win, isn't it? To give really is to receive. It is. It no, is. I think the public um, conversation which you started, and again, when you were here a couple of years ago, you did a lot. Um, to initiate and and encourage is really starting to help people see that. And they're starting to see what you can get from philanthropy uh, in terms of personal satisfaction and contribution as well as what you can contribute to society. Um, You have a lot, a lot to be proud of. I just wonder what you'll miss as you start to wind up. You know, I've been asked that and I have a hard time
1: answering that. Um, You know, there's a, saying in sports about leaving it all on the playing field and uh if you've left it all on the playing field if you really have given it um your all or what what matters uh you don't miss i mean i i i, I can't think of missing something i'm 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 satisfied and pleased with what uh i've been able to uh to do and and grateful for that opportunity um But maybe this is another characteristic uh, echoed uh, that echoes Chuck, uh, which is you're always on to the next thing. Uh, So rather than looking back and missing uh, what uh, I may have missed from a past, or enjoyed from a past experience, um, I'm looking forward to what's next. Uh, There are no shortages of challenges uh, in the world today. Uh, And so I find myself more oriented towards what's next, what are the opportunities, rather than thinking back on um, what I'm going to miss about the past experience.
0: Yeah, feel free if you want to say anything about um, what your thoughts for the future are. But before you do that, I'm just going to drag you back to the past one more time and say, um, I'm interested in what memories and lessons Australia holds for you. You, You've obviously had a a long history here, and a substantial number of things, a substantial amount of work here. Uh, So, yeah, some of the personal memories and then some of the lessons that you've drawn from your time in Australia. Yeah. Uh, Australia is an incredible place. Um,
1: uh, Where we're sitting today in Melbourne, uh, an incredible place. Uh, Tremendous diversity uh, of cultures, uh, people, languages, traditions uh, in this country. Um, And and in that respect, um, it's not at all unlike uh, the U.S. uh, and some other countries that had been principally uh, countries of of immigration, uh, melting pots, although uh, many of those cultures uh, retain their distinct um, characteristics, Um, but also in the context where you have an older and more established indigenous population uh, and some of the uh, issues that brings to mind um, issues of inclusivity and fairness, tolerance. Um, those issues are all alive and bubbling uh, in, in Australia, as they are in the U.S. Uh, and in other countries. And frankly, they're the challenges that we face um, as a species. Uh, we are increasingly uh, interconnected, uh, with a lot of immediacy, um, a lot of demands in our personal lives, as well as in our communities. Um, these are challenges we're facing globally uh, in dramatic ways, and, and 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 they're happening in Australia. So I think of Australia as this very dynamic, lively, diverse uh, culture. Uh, wonderful people wrestling with these issues. Um, that's a very rich environment. Um, and... I, I enjoy uh, coming here and, and, and seeing uh, that dynamism. Um, and I look uh, to Australia to see how there are solutions or ideas that will contribute to, to global struggles in similar spaces. Um, what lessons have I learned? Um, well, I don't know that I have any... Specific lessons, other than uh, I walk away with uh, an appreciation about with, uh, of the number of people who are dedicated to propositions of healthier and fairer societies, and that while it may not always seem that our world and our leadership is reflecting those values, the vast majority of people are really aligned um, to 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 have those kinds of societies. And while the struggles manifest themselves in very specific um, and difficult issues, um, such as immigration and marriage equality and the role of Indigenous societies in a 21st century Australia, um, the fundamental orientation of the country and the people is to seek solutions that uh, allow us to live
0: in a more integrated, fairer society. Now, one final question. I realise you're not the type of person to tell people how to do their jobs, but um, you do have that 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 uh, vast experience and the experience of working with terrific people in a terrific organisation and leading it. Here in Australia, uh, you talked about people doing fantastic work in this area. What advice would you give them if you could only give them one piece of advice to help them be as, a, uh, as effective uh, as possible and make the biggest difference they can? as philanthropists well or uh, as philanthropists or um, as people who might be running a philanthropic organization so maybe maybe someone has been a similar position as you
1: I think um, the world probably right now but uh, at different times in our history uh, um, can almost benefit from people who can articulate aspirations that um, uh, inspire us and yet, are also rooted in reality. People who have this combination of of being dreamers but have also been in the trenches, um, have hit the wall uh, in attempts to achieve change, who know um, some of the operational challenges of achieving something, uh, the realities of a complex political system, the realities of how you work with communities with diverse uh, viewpoints. How do you keep your sense of aspiration? How do you keep a a vision that is inspirational um, while at the same time being rooted in uh, the realities of what it takes to achieve uh, social change? I I think uh, people who can build the skill sets in both those capacities, uh, the practical realities of how you run an organization, how you manage relationships, how you work with diverse um, stakeholders um, with a vision of what's possible or desirable. Um, I I think that that's the ultimate individuals and people can achieve and what could be done through philanthropy uh, or through um,
0: other organizational support for social uh, improvement. Chris, thank you. Um, You've led an organization that has given uh, a lot of people that inspirational vision but also been very careful and thoughtful and uh, effective in delivering on that vision and helping others to deliver on their own personal vision. So thank you. It's lovely to see you back in Australia and thanks for everything you've done here and overseas to grow philanthropy and ultimately improve uh, the lives of others. Thank you. Well thank you
1: David. It's been a great privilege and a great pleasure to be uh, in Australia and to be
0: with you today. Thanks. That's it for this episode of How I Did It. For more from Coda, visit codacapital.com or email philanthropy at codacapital.com.